Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And of course, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I pride myself on bringing you the best of the best. And today's episode is no different. Today, I have weight loss dietitian, none other than Emily Cornelius. Emily has nine years of experience. And what she does, she helps exhausted dieters lose weight by improving blood sugar control while, guess what? Ready for this? Eating carbs that they love. Do you hear that? Now, I'm not saying going crazy on carbs, but eating carbs that they love. She actually has a podcast, which I'm getting on her because she needs to start to record again, called Eat That Dang Cookie, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Hopefully, I can annoy her enough that she starts to record some more episodes. But Emily has a wide array of knowledge, and we're going to get into this. Because this episode, we're going to primarily focus on insulin resistance. But before I get into the episode... I want to quickly read a couple of things that I came across. See, recent data from the CDC indicates that just over 34.2 million Americans, that's one in every 10, one in every 10, think about that, have diabetes. And approximately one in every three are pre-diabetic. Now, we want to really... Pay attention to that because a lot of these cases are actually not even diagnosed. So we have to realize that. So we think we're living our merry lives, thinking we're okay. And then next thing you know, oh, I am type 2 diabetic. But you weren't type 2 diabetic that you walked into the doctor's office or the dietitian's office. You've been type 2 diabetic. And before that, you were pre-diabetic. So this is not something to sneeze at. See, this episode is going to be very important because not just the numbers I gave you, but type 2 diabetes is increasingly prevalent, but it's largely preventable. See, according to the CDC, type 2 diabetes accounts for about 90 to 95% of all diagnose cases in adults. Think about that, 90 to 95%. And one of the key differences with type 2 diabetes, what I mentioned before, is that it's oftentimes triggered by our lifestyle. And that's why I'm bringing Emily Cornelius with her years of experience onto the show today. Hi, Emily. How are you doing today? 
Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to come and talk about insulin resistance. Um, I loved your intro. That is so uh, insightful. And also I think it's really what people need to hear. I, we're not talking enough about insulin resistance and how common this is. And even before pre-diabetes, insulin resistance is going on because it's high hormonal state and constant stimulus. And so I think people, a lot of people know something feels unbalanced and that they're struggling, but they're not really sure how to pinpoint what's going on. I agree with you 100%. And what I tend to find, you can correct me if you think if I'm incorrect, is that a lot of times we, we, we feel things as normal. It's just, this is just how I feel. This is just what happens. But we don't realize that it's not optimal. And until you know what optimal feels like, you're going to just always think about what's normal. And what's normal is going to lead you down the path of, it doesn't necessarily insulin resistance, but illness and diseases and a weakened immune system and inflamed gut and so on and so forth. Those are things that are normal. And that's why I bring on experts like yourself to educate my audience so they can learn how to be more optimal. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. It's a lot of people um, before they sign on as client or after, you know, they sign on as clients, they say that they never knew what not feeling bloated felt like. And they, so if you can feel that difference of, you know, no fog brain, no blow, and you're like, wow, I feel great. I'm energized. I can actually go through my day. I'm not hitting a wall at two o'clock at the desk. And I can actually like function at my best that a lot of people ask me, well, how do your clients stay motivated towards eating healthy all the time? And I'm like, well, it's the way that they feel the way that you feel can be such a motivator. If you can feel that on and off switch, but getting to that point takes a little bit of work and a little bit of balance so that you can kind of feel that difference. So that when you are eating maybe more sugar, or refined carbs, you're like, wow, I'm slower. I'm not thinking as clearly. I'm not performing as well. And so I really can't wait to get back to my routine so that I can start functioning at my best. And I think that that that's just such a huge point that you pointed out there is just that that difference, if you can just get to that point where you can feel the difference, like you're already way ahead. Thank you so much, Emily. And that's a great segue into getting this puppy started. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. Tell us about your qualifications. Who is Emily Cornelius? So I'm a, I've been a registered dietitian for nine years. Um, I started in hospital, like many dietitians do. I did a lot of like general hospital care. Um, and I was sort of just figuring out what I wanted to teach as a registered dietitian. There's so many areas of nutrition. And so I kept trying things and changing it and everything. And so I ended up landing eventually in dialysis as a specialty. So I was a renal dietitian for a good six years. And one of the reasons, one, number two reasons, there's two reasons people are on uh, dialysis. Number one is hypertension. And number two is diabetes. Um, you know, prolonged period of high blood sugar actually damages the filtering units in your kidneys. And so it leads to kidney failure. And so as a clinical dietitian in an outpatient setting and a specialist in renal nutrition, I got a lot of experience with diabetes and the struggles with that and balancing blood sugar. 
Um, but I still never really guessed that I would segue into what I'm doing now. Um, it's just so funny looking back at your path and like kind of how you ended up in things. But um, I really had dreams to open my own business. I wanted my own virtual business. And I um, then went into being a dietitian in a gym setting. So that kind of gave me some practice of having clients and scheduling clients and sort of segued me into having my own business. But uh, that was great learning experience with nutrition, with sports and, you know, running. I had a lot of runners and stuff like that at the gym and stuff. But um, then after that is when I opened my own business and I was a calorie macro tracking coach for a while in my own business. And um, that kind of, that was so insightful, you know, to just work with the public and see what people are struggling with. And um, I had always like a good handful of clients that it was really difficult to help them lose weight doing calorie counting and macro tracking. And it was frustrating for them. It was frustrating for me. I didn't really know how to help them. And, um, you know, what really got me into insulin resistance was this client that I had that got diagnosed with sleep apnea. And we had been trying to work on her weight loss for several months doing calorie macro tracking and the scale wasn't moving. Um, she was completely frustrated. And then whenever she got diagnosed with sleep apnea, I was doing a ton of research and it said often insulin resistance is related with sleep apnea because of elevated cortisol levels. You know, if you're not sleeping properly, um, your cortisol levels can stay elevated. And then that triggers more, you know, high blood sugar, which triggers insulin. And so it messes with your hormone balance. And so uh, we were talking a lot about that. And so we, I switched her on to a more balanced blood sugar diet. We didn't worry as much about calories. We just worried about balance and then like all of the uh, lifestyle habits, exercising consistently, stress relief. She got help for her sleep apnea. So the doctor, she went on a machine to help with the sleep apnea and it was like, she just started losing weight every week. And it was incredible to see that. And so that's really what changed everything for me because I thought, well, if she's struggling and had no idea that she had insulin resistance, then she did go and get tested and she did have insulin resistance. And I thought, man, if we would have known this several months ago, we could have just addressed that issue. But um, it made me just realize that there's got to be more people out there that were really struggling with insulin resistance. And that's, a, that's really powerful because you're 100% right. And like the stats that I read off earlier, there is a lot more out there than we actually know. Um, especially now, and I don't have the numbers right now, but even childhood obesity and childhood diabetes have been on the rise. So mm -hmm. insulin resistance is, is the enemy of the state, pretty much. And, you know, we don't realize that's where the issue comes from. I, I don't like to use the word calories. And I tell my clients all the time, I don't care about counting calories. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you can eat a thousand calories, burn two thousand and gain weight. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more to it. And I like the fact that you're tied in sleep. We're going to elaborate on that a little bit more. But before we get into, uh, into sleep, kindly explain to my clients what I'm trying to say to my audience, what is insulin resistance and why do we really need to focus on it? 
So it's basically when your body isn't responsive to insulin, insulin's a hormone. And what it does is it assists glucose in getting into the cell and then it's converted into energy. So whenever your body isn't responding to insulin anymore, that glucose gets backed up in the blood and it causes high blood sugar. And that's why you start to store, you know, fat storage. And it's, it just makes it really, really difficult to lose weight. Got you. That makes sense. And a lot of times when I talk to someone about uh, managing their body weight and uh, we get into nutrition and I explain to them the, the process of how our body works with, uh, with blood glucose, stored glycogen and body fat. And it's a very delicate balance because like on my interview with um, Dr. Kenneth Rodriguez, an endocrinologist, he explained that, and of course, you know this, that our bodies actually regulate how much sugar we're going to have in our blood, what you were just alluding to. So hence, you have to store the excess glycogen. And then after that is basically used up or stored up, then here comes the stores into body fat. And essentially, you have to reverse that process. And if you're insulin resistant, it makes that process a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely like something that um, it, in the presence of insulin, you can't, your body doesn't burn fat. So if you have this insulin being stimulated all day long, whether it's from stress, lack of sleep, food, like you were saying, like all these lifestyle factors can impact your body to secrete more insulin. And if that's just going all day long, your body's not in a fat storage mode. Thus, you know, you're eating less calories, but you're gaining weight because your body's just not functioning in the state that it's meant to be functioning in. Exactly. And with you saying that, let's talk about sleep now. So let's really dive into connect what's the relationship between sleep apnea and insulin resistance. So a big part of sleep apnea, when you have sleep apnea, you wake up several times throughout the the night, it's disrupted sleep and circadian rhythm, your circadian rhythm is really important and your cortisol level. So that's your body's main stress hormone is directly related to in decreasing insulin sensitivity. So basically your cortisol level is, should be highest in the morning to get you ready and energized for the day. And then as you go through your day, it starts to come down. And then in the evening, it's going to be lower because it's getting you ready for bed, rest and digest. And then your body starts secreting hormones like melatonin to get you ready for bed. And so, you know, whenever you have sleep apnea and you're not sleeping properly, you can mess up these hormones and the way that they're supposed to function properly so that you can get sleep and it's not the hormone directly from what I've read and researched. It's actually like the triggering of insatiable hunger and cravings and the unbalance of how you feel throughout the day. That's going to prompt you to either overeat or maybe eat the wrong things or like crave the wrong, the, I shouldn't say the wrong things, but like crave things that are, um, (laughs) crave more sugar. Um, So, you know, you just, it's a lot easier to lose weight when you feel balanced and energized and clear headed. And when you're not having that alignment, um, it's really difficult. And so, yeah, like that's how, you know, sleep apnea has been related to decreasing insulin sensitivity over time. You know what? I, um, I read something years ago, years ago, 
and it woke me up. It explained that the average American is exposed to about five to six stressors when they wake up in the morning. Um, they didn't sleep well, and the alarm wakes them up in the middle of whatever sleep cycle they're in. So that ain't, ain't, ain't. That's mm-hmm. the first issue. Then you have to, what time is it? You know, I have to get, if you have kids, I got to get the kids ready. If you have a stubborn husband, you got to get him out the house. <laughs> you got to take a shower. Then if you're driving in Orlando, because in Orlando, you know, it's Mickey Mouse land, right? So everybody yeah. <laughs> drives like five miles an hour. So you know, you're only in traffic. You go in, if you get into the office, you got to clock in and you start working and you, your body just constantly going. And that essentially, now cortisol is supposed to be high in the mornings, but it's not supposed to spike like that. Mm-hmm. And people realize how important that is because when it spikes like that, your hormones don't just spike and just drop. It takes a while to level out. And throughout the day, once you start to eat, your body thinks that you're constantly in fight and flight, fight and flight. And you eat that way too. Mm-hmm. So you eat in fight or flight mode. Who fights and eats at the same time? You're like on guard. And, you know, like yeah. what your body thinks that's what's happening. So then it's storing more. It's calling on more insulin. And then two, that's why stress is so related to how much weight that we gain. Because you can eat a salad, eat salads all day and still gain a lot of weight if you're constantly in that sympathetic fight or flight mode. So I like, I like your connection there, but it starts by not getting quality sleep. So not having a proper sleep hygiene so you can get quality sleep. And then when you wake up, you just basically setting yourself up for failure from the start of the day. Yeah. And I think too, it takes like 20 to 30 minutes for the stomach to let the brain know that you're full. So if you're like doing a project really quickly and you're typing really fast on your computer, you're doing all this stuff. And then you go to eat your food at your desk and you're doing everything at once. You're not really like taking time to look at your food, smell it, enjoy it, thinking about fullness cues, you know, you're, it's easy to overeat as well when you're in this like fight or flight state. So like you said, like your body can be prone to fat storage, but also you're, it's easy to overeat when you're on like high power mode or a big one too, is like coming home from work that I see like the four to five o'clock, like very hungry, you know, you're coming off of this crazy stressful day. And then it's easy to just blow through snacks <laughs> and overeat before dinner. Definitely. And you know, the other side to it too is it tends to, uh, we often too start off in a bad mode, but then the other side of it is that what we're supposed to do in the morning time, we do in the evening time and vice versa. And what I mean by that is we're not supposed to be exposed to excess blue light in the evenings because your, your body is, the sun is going down. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be toning down, creating, secreting more melatonin so you can fall asleep. That's one of, one of the importance of our circadian rhythm. People think circadian rhythm only manages sleep. It does so a whole lot more, of course, as you know. So that's one of the importance of a circadian rhythm. But what happens is we expose a lot of false blue light at night. So then our body thinks it's daytime. In the morning time, it's supposed to be getting sun, but we don't get sun. We may be exposed to some false blue light, but we don't actually get any sun, any actual direct sun contact for most of us, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I have a habit is when I take a shower, I put on my blue light blocking glasses and then my blue light screen comes on on my phone. It's like bright orange. So anybody asking for a screenshot, they're going to get this bright orange screen and they get mad at me. And then I'm like, well, just wait till tomorrow. I don't know what to tell you. But um, I fall asleep like a baby. <laughs> so because your sleep hygiene, 
it makes such is such an important part of actually falling asleep. And when we get mm-hmm. like the interview I had with Dr. Dave Shirazi a few weeks ago, we we talked about sleep and important sleep apnea. And we talk about if you develop the right habits, sleep hygiene, then it will improve how you sleep. Once you improve how you sleep, then it will tie then we talk about it improve your overall health. In this case, we're talking about insulin resistance. And you would wake up ready to take on the world, not wake up ready to break the alarm clock, like a lot of us tend to do. Yeah. And I like to, to, I don't know if you've um, looked into like, I'm sure you have like sunrise and sunset and how it's related to cortisol and and your rhythm of cortisol. But um, I actually, whenever I got my cortisol tested throughout the day, I was a little bit low in the morning and the endocrinologist was like kind of pointing out my cortisol was low in the morning. And so the solution was to actually go watch the sunrise in the morning because it helps raise cortisol levels. And we're just so disconnected from the earth now because we wake up, look at the cell phone and then go get on the computer. And it's like our body isn't in sync with like the day and the light and stuff like that. And so even the sunset actually can help your body secrete more melatonin for bedtime and start to decrease the cortisol. So it's, it's hormone triggering. So it is so important to just as often as you can. Now I watch the sunrise and the sunset, but it's really fascinating to see that, you know, we're not really meant to just like live in buildings and look at screens all day long. It's no wonder that there's so many hormone issues now. So many, and we just don't know the difference. I have the same practice too. I watch the sunrise and not every day, but whenever I can, and usually it's a few days a week. And I also watch the sunset. I mean, it's even outside of insulin resistance, the red light that's that we get from the sunset, mm-hmm. it's, it has so many benefits, including mental health and reducing inflammation just by exposing yourself to red light. There are um, doctors now, I say psychologists, who are actually using red light therapy um, yeah. with their clients. And um, I've mentioned before that whenever someone has, I would say, mental health issues, they struggle with mental health, one of the things I always find, I've yet to find someone who, who's not in this situation, they're never outside. They're always inside, shut inside. That's what I always mm-hmm. see. And if they are outside, it's not very often, or they're quick, or they're quickly on the go, 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 go all the time. And those things, because to be physically healthy, we have to be emotionally and mentally healthy as well. And those mm-hmm. all play a piece. And those all play a piece. Yeah, no, you're so right. When I went through my major hormone issues and adrenal fatigue, I was actually working in a basement clinic for six years. So now looking back and thinking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was like eight hours, eight to nine hours a day that my body really had no idea what time it was. It wasn't connected with light and like, no wonder, you know, I started having real major hormone issues. And especially in the winter, you come out of a workplace like that and it's dark already you know it's just sort of like you go you see a little light but yeah so it is really important to go outside and um I love that you do that do you have a red light I always wanted to get one but I just never have I don't have one so I live in Florida it's warm most of the year okay so I can just go outside and stare at the sun for a little while people think I'm, <laughs> I'm crazy I'm, and I am partly crazy so you know it is what it is but I was go outside and look at the sun <laughs> yeah that's um, awesome. but 
for individuals living individuals that live in colder climates though at least i do recommend that they get a good um red light ther- red light therapy device i don't have a discount code or anything like that right now because mm-hmm. i don't use one but i can see that there definitely are benefits to that and i want to tie i want to add to something else then because even before we talk about pre-diabetes me diabetic what are some early signs of insulin resistance other than what we already mentioned um gosh so it's I've found that this is like so diverse, but I think what people relate to the most is like stress, anxiety issues, belly, abdominal fat, um, skin tags can be one, um, sleep apnea. Of course we talked about like irregular periods. If your menstrual cycles aren't regular, um, you have a hard time losing weight, low energy, you know, like they're kind of like all interconnected, but I would say like, those are kind of like the most popular things. Of course, there's like, you know, excess hunger or thirst and then going to the bathroom frequently. But I think that's more on the side of like diabetes. Like when I work with clients that are insulin resistance, but they're resistant, but they're not yet pre-diabetic or even diabetic, they're not really having the frequent urination. And, the, and so I think sometimes people take them out of that themselves out of that category of having these issues. And also like the insatiable hunger and the cravings, just feeling totally off balance throughout the day. And I, the hunger is a really big cue because once, when you're primarily a sugar burner, um, you crave a lot of food because, and I explain that to my client is when you're burning fat, which I burn fat most of the day, most days, unless I have a bad day, but most days. <laughs> so um, your, your body doesn't crave sugars because it, your fat, your fat metabolism is working more optimally, right? It's promoting fat oxidation and you're able to actually lose more body fat in that process. Now, once you switch over to being a sugar burner, then what happens is your body starts to crave more sugars because that's what it's doing at that particular time. And if you don't know how to balance it, you're going to be hungry all the time because you'll, if you don't switch that mode from carb burner to fat burner, then you're going to constantly be a carb sugar burner. And then you're not going to burn tap into that body fat. And what's going to happen is too, as you get you, as you, as you give your body, all those sugars, it's going to store and store and store and store. So on top of everything else, you're going to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of people, where a lot of people go wrong is they say, you know what? Carbs is the enemy. And let me just go on keto and I'll be fine. Well, I don't recommend that. There's sometimes keto can play an important part. And I have to go on a carnivore diet for a while to heal my health issues. But for everyone, it's different. That's why it's important to work with a dietitian because at a certain point, you we have different enzymes, right? That um that break down fats, carbs, and proteins. So I think it's is it lipase that breaks down carbs, I believe. Um I know the word is escaping me right now, but the whole point of the conversation is what if you completely ignore carbs, then you can actually have less of the enzymes that your body needs to break down carbs. So what happens is that when you start to eat carbs again, if you do, you actually start to gain weight back. And that's key too, because even people on keto can tend to plateau at a certain, at a certain point as well. So uh, working with a dietitian and developing that balance is, is very important. Where there are times where you're going to be primarily fat burning, but there are times you're going to use carbs as your body needs it to maintain those important enzymes. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad you talked about that because 
as you know, you have so much experience with gut health, but I was reading a book that was actually talking about a tribe in Africa that um, they ate, uh, gosh, like 100 grams of fiber a day, like a very fiber dense diet, and then they would eat in season. And when they studied the gut health, they actually saw digestive enzymes disappear and reappear at certain times of the year, matching the seasonal food. And I thought that that was so incredible that it's not even like you need to eat these specific foods like every day or every week, but it was the rhythm that they taught their body on how to produce digestive enzymes at certain times of the year. So our guts are just so intelligent and we train them every time we eat. And so if you're eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of sugar, a lot of refined carbohydrates, you're actually training your digestive enzymes and a lot of times limiting your digestive enzymes. Like you're saying, if you can cut out a whole food group, like carbohydrates, your body can forget how to digest those and they need, it needs retrained. And so, um, yeah. I agree too. It doesn't, you know, a lot of people I think have success on keto because, um, it's a blood sugar balancer. You know, you can have a lot more balanced blood sugar on keto because of the higher fat content, lower carb, but it's not the only way it's not the only solution. And it was originally developed for epilepsy and it works really well to reduce seizures. And so it was a medical nutrition therapy that sort of became this fad diet and, so even people without insulin resistance do keto, it's just a diet in general. And I think it's great for healing. I mean, if you think about it with you, when you're promoting fat oxidation, you're eating a lot of good, healthy oils, especially median trained triglycerides. Ketosis actually is clinically shown to be able to bypass the gut, but can't talk the gut brain barrier. There we go. And I promise everybody I am smart. I tell you, I really am. <laughs> And um, which can help to lower brain inflammation and stimulate neurogenesis. So it's these diets do play a role. I think it becomes dangerous when we say, you know what, I should be on keto because I I, I need to get skinny. No, that that's when it becomes a problem. But in the control of someone who is a registered dietitian or a licensed nutritionist and or understands how it actually works, you can not just lose weight now lower inflammation, get healthier in the long-term and improve the health of your gut. So let me ask you something. So someone who then is insulin resistant, and this, I already know the answer based on what I just said, but I, I want you to give the official answer. Should someone who's insulin resistant avoid carbs and why or why not? I like this question because I think it's, uh, carbs are tough. And I think that honestly, there's not enough education on the health benefits of carbohydrates. Like, I think they're just looked at as like carbs versus carbs, but that's not the whole truth. There's several different types of carbs and what types of carbs you eat really matter. So a good example of this would be you have fiber, which is a non-digestible carbohydrate. It actually revs up metabolism. It triggers a hormone called cholecystokinin that lets your brain know you're full. It expands in the stomach. The body can't digest it. And when you eat it in combination with fat, it actually absorbs fat. And then when the body can't digest it, it gives up and it flushes it. So it helps with bowel movement. 
And so there's all these amazing health benefits of fiber, and that is a carbohydrate and it honestly never can be stored as fat. So the other carbohydrate is resistant starch that I talk about a lot. And that is actually a carbohydrate that is food for your gut. It's not food for you. It stays behind in the gut and it feeds all your great, good gut bacteria and supports your stomach. And, um, so that's that. And then you have starch there. Starch can be really great because it converts into energy and it gives you energy and your brain's preferred energy source is carbohydrates. And so when you eat carbs in the right combinations, like I like to ask people, like, have you ever had buckwheat? Like I ask about these like random carbs that people have not eaten. And I, why I love buckwheat is because it actually is really rich in something called the Cairo inositol, which is vitamin B8. It's a hormone balancer and it's really great for insulin resistance. It actually increases insulin sensitivity. And the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics actually just came out with an article recently that a half cup of grains per day actually uh, prevents diabetes. And so you can't really compare like an incredible grain like buckwheat to maybe your refined wheat slice of bread. It's just not the same thing. And so I think carbs just get kind of like lumped in this one thing and it's like demonized, but there's so many amazing health benefits. Like I did a TikTok video on like how raspberries have 120 seeds per raspberry. And that just like blew up. Like people didn't know that. Like you said, it's just like the education part of just like looking at how incredible these carbohydrates are, these whole food carbohydrates and um, how you can get them from different sources. So I really teach clients, get them from, you know, they do a serving from fruit, and then they do a serving from a starchy vegetable, and then they do a serving from a grain. And so there's different areas of like a food that we can get these carbs from too. You don't have to just all, eat all grain or eat all fruit. You know, it's the variety really helps the gut microbiome and the diversity. And, um, it really helps weight loss too, mixing it up and having that diversity. And in today's society of, um, Food, food prepping um, on steroids, basically, it takes, it interrupts that, uh, that variety, right? That, that we actually need, because we're learning how the importance of variety for a gut microbiome. And thank you so much for breaking down the different types of carbs, I'm sorry, fiber as well, because that's, that's, that's huge. That's huge because we, first of all, I think it's one in every three American is fiber deficient, I believe. The number might be worse than that, but that's the last that I remember. So, we have to realize how, how, how big that is because fiber is, I call it the fourth macronutrient because it's, it's so important for so many reasons, not just to make you poop or make you feel you know, full, but it's important for all those things that you just highlighted. So that's, that's, that's definitely big. And um, that article you mentioned, is that something that we can have access to, by the way? Yeah, I can send it to you. Sure. Perfect. I'll uh, put it in the show notes. I'm thinking okay. this is going to be uh, ZikaHealth.com slash, I'll make it simple, ZikaHealth.com slash Emily D. We're just going to go with that. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Emily C for Cornelius. So Emily yeah. C. I think okay. we're going to go with that. All right. So thank you so much. So that's it. That's going to be a really good read. Anybody listening to this, get on the show notes. Um, and also the show notes going to be in the description of the podcast so you can read and learn more about buckwheat because that's actually new to me. So thank you very much. Yeah. And right, the best... 
Oh, sorry. I was going to just say the way that I buy it, because people are confused as to like how to eat that. You can buy it just like a hot cereal and use it just like oatmeal. That's how I use it. And it's really delicious. You just make it instead of oatmeal in the morning. Um, you can. It's good to have a rotation going. Definitely. And you know what, too? I'm going to um, elaborate on this a little bit before I ask about inflammation, because eating seasonally, this time of year really screws us up. Because if we look at our ancestors, in the colder months, they didn't eat as much sugar. Because if you eat seasonally, because why? Because sugary fruits don't grow as much in the colder months. However, in the warmer months, when we sweat more, we move more, we're more active. That's when sugary fruits tend to grow more because we need it for energy and we can survive on being mostly um, sugar burners at that particular time. So that's where the importance and the flexibility of our metabolism is so important. But in today's society, grandma's pies. And, you know, in that regard, pies, you know, you go, even if it's whole foods, you want to eat organic, you're still going to buy a pie or a cake or something, because that's what we do this time of year. However, I'm not saying you, you can't eat cake, you can't eat pies. I'm not saying that. And by the way, my episode I release is going to be probably a few weeks behind now on weight management and actually foods that you can eat this time of year and substitutions and alternatives um, to the high sugars that we have. So. Go back and listen to that episode so you can learn to enjoy your holidays and not actually hate yourself. And um, also from November, all through November and December, every week I'm releasing a different, um, a different recipe as well. And also in that episode, I give you, if you're not a baker, because I'm not the biggest baker, I gave you options of things that you can buy or where you can buy certain foods that are healthy for you as well, or healthier, let me say that, healthier than what we actually have out there. So go ahead and check out that episode. Um, but I digress a little bit. I digress a little bit. Had to throw in a little promo. Um, so we talk about some carbs that are good to eat, right? And you talk about butt week and you talk about raspberry. Do you have anything else to add to that list? Um, yeah, I would. I really challenge my clients to just try things that they've never tried before. Millet is a good one. Not many people use millet and you can use it just like quinoa. You could use it just like rice. Um, barley this time of year through the winter you can make like barley soup beef barley soup is really big um but yeah just exploring like new grains ancient grains that maybe you haven't tapped into yet just getting out of those norms in your routine and exploring that there's a really good website the real food dietitians they create recipes that are specifically designed for insulin resistance so i always recommend that to a lot of clients and so if you're looking for a place to kind of explore you know more ways to make these foods and incorporate more grains um, that'd be a great place to start Thank you very much. I was actually just writing that down, guys. So I was paying attention. I was paying attention, but you know, I, I write chicken scratch. So I don't think what I wrote is actually legible right now. So we'll, we'll worry about that later. Um, but I'm going to put that in the show notes as well, because I think not just anyone who is diabetic, but insulin resistant, or you just want to know about how to eat healthy carbs, um, that's going to be a good website for you. So I'll make sure those are also in the show notes. Yukahealth.com slash Emily C. All right, so we're talking about carbs. Let's talk about my best friend, inflammation. How is inflammation related to insulin resistance? Well, I think like a, maybe a more simplistic way to think about it is excess inflammation. Well, inflammation is necessary, right? For the body and it's your body's natural response, but we're talking about all the excess inflammation. And 
There is a period that I do with clients in the beginning of when they start with me and it's an observation period. So we don't quite do like an elimination diet, but we do like an observancy diet where they're taking pictures of their food and they're writing down the way that they feel after they're eating. And many clients have discovered maybe like a runny nose consistently after certain foods or um, maybe a swollen stomach, things like that. And so what we've uncovered is a lot more allergies and sensitivities to certain foods that they did not know because maybe they weren't paying attention. They were counting macros or calories. And I'm not like, that's obviously a great way for some people to lose weight, but if you're struggling, it's good to kind of like remove all that noise and start to look at your food pay attention to your body and the reaction of your body to see, are you having inflammation? And when I did this myself, I actually noticed that my throat felt tight after peanuts and my, the edges of my lips were itchy when I was eating apples. And I, my dad actually has an apple and a peanut allergy. And I just never thought I had it. It goes away in about 45 minutes. It's very quick. And so it's not something I ever lingered on. And so just stopping and paying attention, I've had several clients say that the runny nose was related to the eggs they thought. And so they're discovering this whole new world of different foods that may not be agreeing with them right now. So it doesn't mean that you have to remove these foods permanently, but it's definitely a good uh, place to start to investigate what's going on with this food. Like, could it be causing some inflammation? If I'm having, if it's a true allergy, you could be having inflammation, which raises blood sugar, which causes more insulin to be secreted. And then that's just hurting your insulin sensitivity at that point. And so, um, I love this concept when it comes to inflammation, everyone is so different on what makes them inflamed. And I think with insulin resistance, the whole gluten-free dairy-free thing is like a big thing. Um, you know, should you eat dairy? Should you not? Should you eat gluten? Should you not? And my stance on that is everybody's a little bit different. Um, but I think sometimes people confuse gluten sensitivities with refined wheat sensitivities. Like it could be actually wheat that you're interacting with, but then all bread or grain gets demonized that has gluten. So it's really good to get to the bottom of what is causing this to happen. Another thing I see with dairy, and I was the same way, I actually was lactose intolerant and I was eating still some cheese, some yogurt. You know, I was like, oh, I could do like some cheese. I can do some yogurt. I hear this like every day. And I didn't realize that the source of my brain fog was actually from some dairy that I was eating. And then I had to go back and question, am I lactose intolerant or do I have an allergy to dairy? And that was something I needed to investigate further. And so, you know, it makes sense that if I could never, you know, it started with me in high school where I get so sick on like milk and ice cream. So if I'm getting super sick on these things, I don't know why I thought that I could have like cheese and some of these other things, you know, is so subjective. Maybe it just didn't hurt me as badly, but I actually, um, and this is something I don't talk about too much, but I really suffered from a lot of depression for a very long time. And when I completely removed dairy, I did stopped waking up depressed and I looked into some research and it's inconclusive because some people, you know, didn't have depression after the removal of dairy and some people did. And so we're all just very unique and we have different bodies and different strengths. 
with food and different opportunity areas. And so, um, you know, it's not something that I can say like, oh, scientifically, you know, it's been shown in research that depression is decreasing with the removal of dairy. But for me, I noticed a huge change. And so I really like to empower clients to be their own detectives and really look into what's going on. Have you ever watched um, Family Guy? Yeah, I love that show. <laughs> so as you're talking, I was thinking about this show that Peter did. It's called Grinds My Gears. <laughs> and he's like, this is what really grinds my gears. And he would say some nonsense or whatever. And what grinds my gears is everyone's, all, all, all of a sudden, everyone's a scientist. Like everyone said, what does this study say? What does that study say? What does that study say? If you, you've worked with individuals like you, like you, and you still do work with individuals, you understand that you just said that science is one aspect of it, but the anecdotal evidence is another piece of it. And the anecdotal piece can be different for each person. And that's how when someone comes to me and says, should I be keto? Should I be this? Should I do that? Should I do that? I can't necessarily answer that question. Um, but one, I don't know if I should be answering your question or you actually need to see a, a um, registered dietitian, number one. And number two, there's a lot that goes into this. What is your ancestral background? Um, you know, what have you eaten? What do you usually eat even now? I need to know what are your gut enzymes? You know, what, um, there's how do you say, what are your sensitive food sensitivities? Things, what do you recognize when you eat certain things? Like for me, it was um it my with my gut health same thing the light bulb went off because when I ate certain things my nose would run when your nose run well mucus is one way that your body actually defends itself from pathogens so your body my body is responding to certain foods like beans for example which beans weren't bad but I wasn't I would eat like chipotle beans right not being when I started pressure cooking my beans and actually killing the lectin the lectin content in my beans didn't have that problem anymore. Peanuts, I had to take out because peanuts are also high in lectins and cashews. I was eating peanuts and cashews like Skittles. I had to get those out of my diet, you know, but that's me. That's what I recognize. That's what I realize. But for someone else, it may be a little different. And that's why everybody says, well, what does the study say on this? What does the study say on that? I'm like, slow your roll, you know, because what the study says, that's important. But the anecdotal evidence is on outside of it. So that's why I always say I live in three different facets. I live in scientific studies. I live in anecdotal evidence. And I also look at what you're doing right now and combine those three to realize, okay, what may be the best approach for you? So yeah, I love that's, that. that's so incredible. Thanks for sharing that. The body gives you so much feedback to what's going on if we would just listen. And I think that that's really where it needs to start is like how much you learned about yourself, just paying attention to your nose running and what you were eating. And sometimes it does take though, if you ate like a meal, I go back and I eat each thing individually to see what's going on. So sometimes it takes a little investigative work, but you can definitely get to the bottom of it. You're yeah, you investigated a little bit more than I did, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go that far. I'm like, you know what? This has beans. Let me see. Let me eat it without beans next time. <laughs> so I kind of uh, ran away that way. But so now we're talking about inflammation, right? And I like how you started off by saying inflammation is an important process of the body. Because if you Google now, everybody talks about inflammation is horrible and you need more omega-3s and all that good stuff. I mean, even myself, I take a swig of um, um, cod liver oil every day or most days, even on days I eat fish. 
not because I think, and it goes back to the study thing I was telling you about, I have people say, studies say that, you know, omega-3 doesn't do anything for your heart or whatever, or cod liver oil doesn't. That's what this study says. I said, let explain something to you. I'm not taking cod liver oil to heal an issue. I'm taking it because I'm trying to improve the omega-3 profile in my blood. That's really what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to heal anything. But if I keep living on this pro-inflammatory diet, because the standard American diet, I call it SAD, right? Standard American diet <laughs> actually is omega-6 to omega-3 is about 15 or 17 to 1. Our diet is extremely pro-inflammatory. So mm -hmm. we're, that's why we have gut health. That's why we have allergies. I told somebody the other day, I said, if you have allergies, you can't say you're actually healthy because there's something that's wrong there why you have the allergies. And that's what happened with my asthma. Working out all my life, but it was my asthma because whenever I, had, I was allergic to something, my body responded by creating mucus. And at that point, I couldn't breathe. So that's why by taking out the foods that would cause the inflammation so my body wouldn't respond with mucus, Hence is why when my asthma, it's been what, two and a half years or two and three quarters years or whatever, I've had to renew my medication. So like you said, you got to listen, you got to get rid of the noise and listen to your body. Mm -hmm. And so what are some anti-inflammatory oils? Because, you know, we, we love to cook. Some of us love to cook, right? Yeah. Anti-inflammatory oils that, you know, that can improve insulin resistance. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, oils are such a big topic and there's a lot out there. Um, but there's a lot of debates, you know, over oils. And I loved what you said about the ratio of the Western diet is just 17 to one. We should really be striving for a one-to-one, -one, but if we could get like a one in four, that would be like a significant improvement to like what we're doing now. And so it is interesting to look back at ancestors and how this has progressed upward with the omega-6 and the primary source of omega-6 in the American diet is soybean oil. It's cheap, it's affordable, and we live very fast lives. And I used to live in Washington, D.C., and so I know the culture of Washington, D.C., and it's a lot of eating out and food when you get it at a restaurant, a lot of times they are using these oils that are very rich in omega-3. And so you're eating food that's covered in omega-6 and you don't even know. Um, so, you know, we really do have to work harder on the omega-3, but I do see a lot of stuff on social media demonizing omega-6s and saying like, oh, these are all these like inflammatory oils. And I think that going that direction could be really stressful for people when they feel like they can't even buy a bag of chips because there's like inflammatory oils. I try to really avoid going down that route and just really emphasize like the omega-3 and staying away from like as much processed food as you can and here and there indulge in like what you enjoy. But I think that's part of sustainability and long-term success with your diet. So what there's no controversy over is whole foods that have these rich oils in them, right? So like olive, like olive oil is processed, but if you buy extra virgin olive oil, that's cold pressed, that is like the best option. It is rich in healthy oil, nuts, avocado, fish, pasture raised eggs, flax, chia, olives, hemp seeds, grass fed meat. These all have healthy natural oils within them. So I would say that's like a really great place to start is just like focusing more on these whole foods. It's was so mind blowing to me and eye opening that 
So my TikTok, I started talking about insulin resistance in August and I only had 2000 followers on there. I was like, oh, let me just talk about this insulin resistance and see what happens. I have now 327,000 people following me since August. So that was like explosive growth. And my video that got 5 million views was me showing people how to put chia seeds in yogurt and then put it in the fridge for 20 minutes to let it, you know, activate and then eating it. So that made me realize that I think a lot of people want to eat more chia seeds, flax seeds, and hemp seeds and these healthy oils, but I don't think that they're really sure how to incorporate these easily into day-to-day life. And I think that that's key is like easily (laughs) because everybody is living so fast now. They don't have time to make these things or they're not mindful of it. So I actually have my clients put these seeds out on their countertops to just remind them, or they'll make a seed mix, put it in a shaker, and you can just shake it onto like a soup that you're having at night. Cause I do think that seeds are like one of the main things that I see. And I'd love to hear like what you feel like you see in this category of like people not eating enough of. Um, but CNN did this like global study on like what we're not eating that's killing us. And for the U S it was grains and nuts and seeds. So those are like the main things that I really focus on with people to just learn how to get them more consistently in their day-to-day life. I don't have a TikTok, but I need to get TikTok so I can start watching (laughs) your videos because I really think that's going to help me too. Um, I love that. That's, that's tremendous growth. I mean, even at the pace that I'm growing, I'm not growing at a rate that you are. That's, that's really awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, I just, for me, I see a lot of elimination and confusion. Okay. And this is the way I look at it where I see, for example, when we talk about nuts and seeds, right? Well, what do most of us eat when we talk about nuts and seeds? Cashews and peanuts. Well, guess what? Those aren't nuts and seeds. Peanuts are legumes and cashews. Cashews are fruit. So those, so when the, the actual nuts, which is, you know, um, pistachios, walnuts, almonds, and so on and so forth, we actually don't eat those. I actually told my client the other day, and she mentioned, mentioned the thing with the seeds, that I will put, um, like, because I, I hate walnuts by themselves. I think they're disgusting. But I'll put them in like a like Greek yogurt and and I love it, you know. That's you know something for me. So I find ways to enjoy it. But you're not gonna see me sitting here watching TV going, okay, let me just chow down on some walnuts. Walnuts, that's not gonna happen. All right, but well, pistachios I can do, almonds I can do like that, but I can't do that with those kinds of nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see where it's, it's a lot of confusion because a lot of people don't even know what real nuts are. And then on top of that, they get scared because we talk about this before the podcast they hear so much stuff now. They're like, like I saying, I can't eat chips. I can't do this. I can't do that. And they'll feel like, you know what? It's, it's easier to just eat what I want and hope I don't get hit by a bus or something. So, you know, like, so there's a lot of confusion out there. And that's why I think anyone who's in the earshot of what I'm listening to me right now, go to, em, um, go to Emily's TikTok and her Instagram and follow her and learn these tips because you, you'll be surprised how different you feel and then of course if you want to work with her uh, make sure that her information are in the show notes and also the description of the podcast so you can reach out to her and learn more or even solicit their services if need be 
Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I definitely. Uh, so my TikTok is Emily Cornelius Nutrition and my Instagram is Emily Cornelius Nutrition, but I really work hard to try to like do, I, I'm, we're in the age of video for sure. And I think people learn very easily through video. And so it's so cool that I can really like show people more how to eat these. And I love what you said about the nuts and seeds and just not really even being sure of these groups and what you know, group they're in. And so I think if we just spent more time lifting up these whole foods and really educating what these are, like people don't know wild rice is a legume. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> right. you know, and that's not like uncommon. That's just like, wow, that's usually in the grain category. Like we kind of have things in the wrong categories, I think too, whenever you're learning about it. So it is like really important to learn, you know, what I like that you brought up walnuts because it's such a great source of omega-6 and three, you can get both in that. And so I think it's good to just kind of focus on getting these in. I usually recommend three to four times a week is a good place to start because like you're saying with the digestion part, like I've had people that are just like, oh, I can't even do like that many chia seeds or flax seeds because their stomach just isn't used to eating seeds in general. So start slow. You can always start slow. If your stomach hurts, do a little less and get your body more used to eating stuff like that. And it's connected to what we were talking about earlier is the digestive enzymes. And if you haven't had these foods in your diet, you got to think about the digestive enzymes. And you mentioned earlier fiber too, for example. Well, probiotics, it, fiber is, is basically prebiotics, which is food for your probiotics, right? So when we think about that is that if we want to have good, healthy gut bacteria, we need to have prebiotics in our diet. That's why, again, with so many Americans being fiber deficient, we have bad gut bacteria, which leads to gut, gut, gut issues, inflammation, excessive oxidative stress, insulin resistance, weakened immune system, because I believe it's about 90 or 95% of your immune system resides in your gut. So we have, we have that issue as well. So it's all tied together. Our body is very intelligent and our body is actually there to defend and heal and help us but you have to give it what it needs to be able to do so. Now, carrying with the category on food, because, you know, we live in a society of snackers, right? I mean, even I myself sometimes, you know, I got to watch a little TV. <laughs> I want to have a snack, right? Not walnuts, of course, but um, is snacking good for someone who is insulin, resist oh, insulin resistant and why or why not? That's a really good question. And it also is, I think, another one that could be really specific to the person in general. I mean, there's just such a spectrum of insulin sensitivity. And I think too, it's, um, so if you're in general, I don't recommend snacking. Like I would say overall, just so your body can have a break from secreting insulin. If you're doing like six small meals a day, you're just constantly triggering your body to secrete more and more insulin but you want to get your body out of that state, right? You want the body to be able to rest between meals. And if you're actually eating full, satisfying blood sugar, balancing meals, you will find that you don't really have to snack because you're full until the next time you eat. And so I see, you know, if you're snacking through meals or you're eating maybe 200 calories for breakfast, you're probably going to be hungry again at 10. And then you're going to eat, need to eat again. If you're only eating a few hundred calories at a time. And so I really have my clients focus on making their meals 
full and satisfying. And I'm a big advocate of simplifying your life. If you have to plan like three meals plus snacks, it is so much food and so much work, like just focusing on the meals. A lot of my clients have told me they've actually really enjoyed that cutting out the snacking and just being able to enjoy it. And I think something that when I traveled over to Europe, I noticed is that they don't snack in Italy like we do here. Like I, I did no snacking. It was just like, I ate down, I sat down, I ate these full meals and I enjoyed my food. I enjoyed the people I was with, but I was busy in between meals. You know, I didn't think about like, let me get another snack and another snack. So, but I think if you're on insulin and you feel like you're having lows between meals and you really do need snacks, that could be a different scenario. I've also had people that really love to work out where they're doing like several workouts a day. And if you're doing that, you might need to eat more frequently because you're just way more active and you need more calories. And it might be really stressful for you to try to eat like 700 calories in a meal or like whatever your body needs. And maybe you're feeling workouts too, which is super important. So you may be eating before your workout and after your workout to support your muscles to regrow and your body to have energy for your workout. And so I think it could be, there's so many different scenarios, but, um, if you're just in general, you know, working on improvement, you're not in any of these other categories, then yeah, I just really focus on clients to focus on meals. I love that. Basically you're saying different strokes. <laughs> I think it's sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Different strokes it takes, different strokes to move the world. I go, I can't think, I don't know, I don't know the song. Crap. All right. Well, I'm a podcaster, not a professional singer, apparently. So, you know, that there we go. Um, but I want to talk something about working out too, because there's a group that um I'm a part of. It's this product called Lumen, which I think is a really good device, especially for individuals who are trying to drop a lot of body fat and understand metabolic flexibility. And I'll go in the group and once or twice a day, I help out answer questions for individuals who are new to the process. And one of the things that I've realized is that their workouts oftentimes is not beneficial to actually um, burning, promoting fat oxidation, because we, a lot of us still are stuck in the mindset of let's outrun our forks, right? So even if we eat healthy, we're going to run, run, run. We're going to work out, work out, work out. We're going to high intensity. And even now, sometimes I go to the gym, I have to go to client, to trainers and say, what are you doing? Because they're, you know, they want the clients to go move, 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 move. And then, you know, months later, the client is like, I, 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 I look the same, like what the heck? So, you know, um, so the workouts that we do needs to be, needs to match our nutrition. And if you're constantly keeping yourself in a high cortisol state, cause you're go, 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 go all the time you can actually put on weight. I've had clients that he told me a story. He sticks to me now because he told me that he used to, for a year, he would ride his bike every day, ride his bicycle every day for hours. And in a whole year, he didn't lose a pound. And because he was always go, 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 go. And he never understood how to match his nutrition with his workout. Because for some people, strength training may be best. And that's how when I put together their, their training protocol, there's always some strength training but the cardio is tend to be limited, but for some people to improve their cardiovascular health and to improve their heart rate variability, I do have to change up how they do cardio. So I might do some hits some days or some days, some short cardio or some days, some long cardio 
or what I call high intensity repeat training, where they're like, they're walking for a short period of time, they will run for about 15 to 20 seconds or so to pick up their heart rate and they go back into slower mode. That way their body has to constantly adjust and they're not always in a high cortisol state, which helps them to break through plateau. And one thing else I'm gonna say about that too, is that once you piece all that together with the right nutrition, you realize that you're making your life a lot easier. And yes, if you love to work out, I'm not saying stop. Like the other day I was out there playing soccer for like five hours and that's just, I'm just crazy like that. So if you love working out, I get it. But if your goal is improving insulin resistance, if your goal is actually promoting fat oxidation, losing weight, getting healthy and so on and so forth, being out there for hours at a time may not be the best thing for you. Yeah, I think it can go back. That's a great point. And can go back to what we were saying, like paying attention to your body and listening to your body. And like, when you're feeling tired, it might be a good day to do yoga and not a run. You know, it's if you had a super stressful day, it's probably not great to go into like some kind of high intensity run for a long time. Like maybe what you actually need is like an anti-stress routine or evening. So I think that's so interesting. And I always compare, um, workouts, like how you have to change them in order to keep burning fat, how you were just pointing out the variety that you give your clients. Um, the same with like nutrition, I really push clients to have more variety because your body, I don't know if you've heard this, but it like basically Thanksgiving's coming up. So I don't know when you'll air this episode, but Thanksgiving's coming up. Um, and your body actually starts storing bile for that day to break down the amount of food that you're going to eat. So it's very intelligent. You can actually train your body to um, know that you're going to eat a lot more food that day. And so the body, if you eat methodically every week, you're just eating the same thing. It's really easy to plateau with weight loss because your body knows what's coming. You don't have that adaptive change. And so that's why I like eating a variety of foods within protein within these different categories too, fruit, protein, and exposing not only for gut health, but just in general, so that you can stay in that fat burning state. If you're working on weight loss is very important. So I love to compare it to working out. Cause I'm like, you can't do the same workout every day from what I understand and really start seeing like results in your body and change. It's really the variety that gives you the best results, right? Exactly. And what you may need based on your particular situation. So mm -hmm. you're definitely right. Um, just, just let you know, this episode is going to be aired in December, I want to say December, maybe early January. I don't know yet. I record a few episodes okay. ahead of time because I'm a control freak. So I'm not sure exactly where it's going to be, but it's going to be at the right time that my audience needs to hear this. So I might move it up a little bit. Who knows? But um, this is a fantastic interview, Emily. Again, show notes, ZikaHealth.com slash Emily C and also on Zika Health. You're going to get for the next couple of months or whatever this year. So November and December, you're going to get a couple months of recipes that you can go on quinoa, cauliflower, desserts, recommendations where you can purchase things and so on and so forth. So go ahead and check those out. But um, so Emily, I'd love to have you in the show again in the future. This is one of the one of the best interviews I've done. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. I'd love to have you on again in the future because you just taught me a lot of things. I, whenever I have a guest on and I have to shut up, that means that I've learned. I learn a lot. <laughs> so, 
Thank you so much for that. That really means a lot. Um, let our clients know, my audience, like you say, my clients, what are the uh, best ways to get in touch with you? Um, so you can connect with me on Instagram at Emily Cornelius Nutrition. I have a ton of free information there. You can connect with me on TikTok, um, Emily Cornelius Nutrition. And then I have a website um, where you can send me a message if you need to talk to me, um, or you can shoot me an email at emilycorneliusnutrition at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Emily, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.